Well, hey, we are in week three of a series called How to Build a Life, and we've been studying uh, the book of Colossians. And if you've been following along, if you have one of these journals, if you haven't gotten one yet, we would encourage you to go ahead and get one right after service. You can give a $5 donation if you want, but at this point, you can even just take one. And um, But in here, we've had daily devotions uh, that have had to do with Colossians and what we've been studying. And this has helped us kind of walk through the book of Colossians. And and we, we've been learning that uh, Colossians wasn't really even a book. It was a letter. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. I was doing a, a study this week with a friend, and we were reading through the book of Timothy. And, and it's so funny because I think sometimes we really forget that some of these, these letters truly were like a letter sent to a church until you start reading about things like, uh, Dearest Timothy, please stop drinking the water because you're having stomach issues. Like, how weird is that? Like, for the rest of eternity, until, until Jesus comes back, Timothy's going to be known as the guy who had, like, bad gas. Like, think about that. That stinks. Um, thank you. Thank you. Been thinking about that one all week, so thank you. Anyways, Colossians, though, was this letter written to this church. And uh, it's this small, insignificant town in many ways, and it's this young, young church. And Paul is writing to them, and he first urges them to continue with the foundation that they have been set with that is just upon Jesus. That the teachings that they originally heard, that to continue on with just Jesus as their firm foundation and to stand firm in the faith. And then in the second chapter, we learned that we should be rooted deeply in Christ Jesus. That we should have them grow down deeply. And we we talked last week about this idea uh, that you have to have good roots to get good fruits. I was reading this week, too, this is a side note, interesting thing about redwood trees. And maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't. So redwood trees, you know, are these trees that can be like 300 feet tall. And you would have to assume that their roots would grow down all the way to like China or something like that because they're so tall. But it's fascinating that they actually only go down somewhere between 6 and 12 feet. And the whole concept is that they end up getting intertwined and they have a support system with the other trees. And so the roots that they have are close connected to the other trees around them, which help support them when they're in the midst of a storm, that help them gather nutrients so they continue to grow. There might be a lesson about the church in there, but I'm going to let you guys marinate on that one yourself. This morning, we're going to be trying to tackle chapter 3, and we're not going to get through all of it. We're going to finish out some of it next week, so... You'll have to come back to be continued. Um, but this morning, we're going to read through a lot of uh, the chapter. And I think one of the reasons why it's important that we read the words from there, in particular in, in a letter like this, is that when these letters would have been sent originally, um, it's not as if they would have you know, been able to, like, let's make like a copy for every person and hand them out and everyone go home and read. That wouldn't have been the case. There would have been people who, one, uh, were illiterate. There honestly probably could have been people who um, would have especially read or even spoken in different languages. Uh, But also uh, part of the intention was that when Paul would write his letters, oftentimes it would be important that they would be read out loud to the church. So it would be like today uh, if we got a letter from from my version of Paul, and I would have to stand up and say, uh, to the church in South Creek, grace and peace from your brother in Christ. Um, but the importance of it was to get uh, the words to really like marinate into you. Because um, again, we know when we, when we kind of pick and choose uh, scripture, sometimes there can be things taken out of context. This morning, though, what I want to talk about is uh, things becoming new. 
You know, I don't know about you, I absolutely love the season of fall. How many of you guys are like, if I was to choose my favorite season, it's fall? And uh, I love it, but have we ever thought about how funny it is to say that? Like, fall is kind of the season of death, right? I mean, truthfully, it is. Um, you know, like, when you think about, like, the trees and you see the leaves falling, it's like, wow, look at that beautiful death happening to that tree. How wonderful. But there's a lesson there in the trees, right? Uh, we know that uh, to, to get to a spring where everything becomes green and fresh and new, there has to be a fall, right? There has to be things that, that shed off of something. Those leaves couldn't just stay there forever, that if they wanted something new, they would have to get rid of some of the old. This morning, that's what I really want to talk about. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Colossians chapter 3. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. And, uh, and we're going to dive in. And this morning, we're going to do a little bit more of just kind of reading and stopping and talking. Reading, stopping, and talking. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now Paul kicks off his his third chapter by just talking about this idea that remember, through Christ, your old life has been buried, it is dead, and you are new in Christ. And so he begins by reminding them to set their mind on things above. How many of you have ever uh, been, been, been planning to do something and uh, your mind, though, just gets so focused on something else that you just you totally miss it and you start doing something else? Or maybe you've just started a conversation out of nowhere with someone that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. It was just in your mind. I do this all the time. It drives my wife crazy. Because all of a sudden in my mind I've been thinking about something and out of nowhere I'll just be like, well, hey, you know this, that, and the other. And she's like, context, Aaron, context. Uh, we do this though, right? We, we have, our, have our things set on uh, certain things. But I think it's phenomenally interesting that Paul's challenge here is really, what's your thought life? That'd be a question I'd ask all of us, I'd ask myself this morning, is what is your thought life? When, in, when you are have the free time, what are the things you think about most? If our brains were our uh, Google search history, what would be there? What would be the things you think about most often? Because I think it begins to really shape who we are. Are the things you think about most often an activity? Maybe it's a, a positive one. Maybe, maybe it's even our children. Maybe it's all these, uh, maybe it's our spouse. It could be all sorts of things. But what Paul is urging here is this concept of set your mind on things that are above, heavenly things. Forget the earthly things, and we're going to get to some of what he means here in a minute. But it's a great challenge at the beginning of this message for all of us to ask. What do you think about most often? Because it deeply shapes who you are. And so much of it, by setting our, this is, this is an early hint in case you fall asleep. So much of, of what we set our mind on can oftentimes be very selfish things. And the idea of becoming new in Christ is shedding the selfishness that we have inside and beginning to think upward and outward. Thinking up towards Christ and outward towards his kingdom. So, what's your thought life? Paul continues on 
starting in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Man, Paul doesn't pull no punches, does he? I'm not going to make anyone raise their hand, but how many of you are like, I read one of those and you're like, dang it, that's me. Paul knows. I'll admit, there was more than one in there for me. So if you add more than one, you're, you're among friends. You know, it's interesting as he, as, he, as he calls out some very specific things. Some are very specific actions. Some of them are more attitudes and things that are, are more internal. But I think the whole point that Paul is trying to make is that there are things that we have experienced, and in particular, we experienced in our life before Christ, that he's challenging this, these young believers to say, you can't stay this way anymore. You know, it's interesting... How many of you guys ever have done any gardening? Maybe you've, you've, you've had to deal with different plants or weeds in gardens. When I was a, uh, a uh, what it would have been, I guess I just graduated from college. I guess I, I did a victory summer lap. That was nice. Finished up during the summer. But I spent my summer, some of you guys know this story, I spent my summer once pulling weeds all summer. My dad jokingly called it that I was on the Petunia Patrol because the town that my parents live in literally had like miles upon miles of just petunias all along their streets. And so I literally got paid uh, to just like go and pull these weeds all summer. One of the greatest things ever. Uh, One of my favorite things was uh, the old ladies who would drive by, who I didn't even really know that well, who would like passive aggressively stop by and be like, so what, what class in college taught you this one? And I was like, what? Come on, Gertrude, like slow down. But I did learn a lot about, about weeds, I will, I will admit, thinking about weeds and, and things like that, and, uh, and then even thinking about pruning. How many of you guys have ever done any pruning on plants? Maybe you know why you prune. You have to prune, you have to take away weeds from areas because otherwise they can suffocate and they won't allow you to grow. If you don't prune, oftentimes you won't get the best uh, fruit or, 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 or the best blossom uh, on the particular plant that you're growing. I think when Paul is tra- talking here and when he's writing, he, he, he's telling uh, these early believers, listen, you have built a foundation. You've even began to, to, to develop roots. But the reality is, is if you do not start pruning in your life some of the things that were part of your old life, they are going to take over what you have built. And so here's a qu- another question for us this morning. What do you need to prune from your life? What is currently in your life that you need to prune out? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's an attitude. Could even be a relationship. But there could be things that maybe you're sitting there with God sometimes in your prayer life and be like, God, why in the world? I've given you my life, but why in the world do I continually get drawn back? Why do I continually do these things? You know, and... The Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about how he is the true vine and we are the branches, he talks about the importance of pruning. Jesus also tells another thing, parable, where, where he talks about how if, if, if your hand causes you to sin, 
cut it off because it's better to go into the kingdom of God with only one hand than to go to the other place. I think the reason why Jesus used such harsh words is because so many of us, we want to be made new, but we don't want to give up the old. We want to have all like the good parts of being a follower of Jesus without any of the parts that can be more difficult. And the truth is, if your life, this is this may be a question, if your life before Christ and your life that you would claim after Christ look the exact same, you need to take an inventory. You need to take an inventory. Because the reality is, until there is a death of the old life, the new life will not come. And even afterwards, it's this ongoing process. We come from a tribe called Church of God Anderson. Don't worry, we don't snake charm or anything like that. But we we come from what was called a Wesleyan holiness group. And we believe deeply in this thing um, called holiness, that we are called to be holy people. Holy just means set apart. But when I think of holiness, I've said this many times before, holiness is sort of like eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That it's this ongoing process. That it's not like we just give our life to Jesus and all of a sudden, I have arrived, I shall never sin again, all of it's good. That the beauty and even just the ongoing grace of God is this fact that even once we've built a foundation, even once we begin to be rooted and growing, we have to continually be pruning the things in our life. Paul, who wrote this letter in another letter, even talks about how he had a thorn in his flesh. He had some sort of struggle that he pleaded with God to take away. But God answered him that his grace is sufficient. And Paul even came to the realization that even though he had that, the blessing of it was that it made him continually draw back to Christ for strength, that he needed God. But the question is, what do we need to prune from our lives so we can continue to grow, so we can see fruit in our lives? Maybe it's something that made this list. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. That's something you've got to wrestle with. Paul continues on again. He said, since you've taken off your old self with its practice and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, when we read that, we can like kind of pass through that real quick. Like, yeah, that's really like a cool rhyming thing. But the more I dug into this scripture this week, one of the things that I found phenomenally interesting is all of the people who are listed in here. Those who are the Jews versus the Gentiles, the circumcised versus the uncircumcised, the barbarians versus the Scythians, the slaves versus the free. All of those would represent polar opposites. It would represent IU fans and Purdue fans. It would represent Pistons fans, the good ones, versus the Pacer fans. Granted, we have a championship. You don't. I'm just saying. But it would represent two opposing people. Opposing people religiously, economically, racially. And so when Paul writes this, you have to realize how incredibly challenging, how incredibly shocking this would be. Because he's writing to this group of people who who would have fit under all of these different things. 
And when he writes to them, what he is really saying to them is this, that when our identity is in Christ, we are all equal. And that in that self is incredibly, incredibly groundbreaking. Because you have to think about, in this time period, so many people, the Jews would have believed that the Gentiles were bound for hell, for sure. There's no way they can be saved. The, Sith, the, the, the Scythians would have been like the lower form of the barbarians. So if you were even a barbarian, to say uh, someone was a, was a Scythian was like, man, you are basically still a caveman loser. But in this, he's acknowledging this idea that we're being created all. And so this morning, please don't miss this, that when our identity is in Christ, we are all equal and he can prune our prejudices. We don't like to talk about that a lot because I think it can become really polarizing. We can feel like we begin to get um, like it's a political thing. But the reality is all of us have prejudices. We all have been formed. Some of them are based upon experience. Some of them are based upon our family of origin. Some of them are based upon uh, our, 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 our race, on our gender, on all sorts of things. And, and this morning, I do not want to talk any about right, wrong, indifferent, all of those things. But I, what I want us to all begin to do is all of us have to begin to realize that we all have sinful prejudices in our hearts. And that if first thing we have to do if we really are serious about taking care of them is acknowledging them. And then after that, what we have to begin to realize and acknowledge is that if we truly believe that we have been set free in Christ, if we truly believe that Christ Jesus is for all, we need to begin for Christ to begin to prune in our own hearts, our own attitudes, these prejudices. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'll be honest, God's got some work to do on me. I know there are things in my life that, that I still have to be working on, that I still have to let go. So much of it also comes from, I believe it's because a lack of response to loving my neighbor as myself. A lack of being close to people who are different than me. And so when Paul is talking and when he says these things, it's this call to say, you have been created to be one. The way that the world has divided, I have come to reunite. That in me, we truly can be one. Now we continue on and we get to probably my favorite part of Colossians. And he just says this. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I love that immediately following Paul calling out prejudices in the hearts of these people. He gives them a vision of what the church should be known for. You know, the old saying used to be about church clothes, right? It was all about, you know, put on your fancy clothes so you look nice. But here Paul is challenging this idea of what if you were clothed with things like kindness, compassion, humility, and most of all love. What if in the same way that when you go out and about and you see someone wearing a Colts shirt, you know they're a Colts fan, right? When you see someone, like very, very, hardly ever do you like run into someone who's wearing some sort of like sports gear and you'd be like, oh, are you a Purdue fan? No. 
just like the colors. No. And they're trying to identify. They're trying to put on something to identify to say, I am a part of this. What if we as followers of Christ began to put on our clothes every day, but instead, now everyone should wear clothes every day, just for the record, I don't want to be misquoted in that. But what if we began to metaphorically every morning begin to say, I need to make sure that I'm putting on my kindness, my humility, my gentleness. Man, let me get these pants of, uh, pants of love. That sounds awkward, so I'm going to leave that one alone. Maybe pants of patience sounds better. But what if we began to do that? And that we began to be marked by those things. We began to be seen by those things. What if people didn't have to identify us by little fish stickers on the back of our bumper sticker? By a cross tattoo? Not saying any of those things are wrong, but what if we were known by those things? But here's the truth that's a difficult thing, is becoming more like Jesus is an intentional choice. Becoming more like Jesus is an intentional choice. To be clothed with kindness, humility, compassion, gentleness, to be binded together by love is not something that just happens. It's kind of like how if you go to like some sort of fancy place where they've trimmed up a bush and it looks like a flamingo or a swan or something like that. Like never in the world has something like perfectly done like that just like just naturally grew, right? It doesn't do that. Someone did the work. They were intentional about pruning the different things away from that. They're intentional about making things look that way. The reality is you cannot begin to be more like Jesus, look more like Jesus, love more like Jesus if you don't make the choice to do it. You're not going to know what Jesus is like unless you spend time with him, unless you read about him in his word. Those things don't just happen. You have to do the work. I wish my son would just potty train himself, but he won't. I've tried. He peed on me a week ago and laughed. Pray for his soul. But it takes an intentional choice to do those things. Colossians 3.15. I'm going to invite the band up because they're going to close us out with one more song. It says this, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, he doesn't say multiple bodies, he doesn't say, here's the, the, the Jews over here, the Gentiles over here. He says, one body, you are called to peace and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms. Uh, hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. One of the big marks and kind of common threads throughout Colossians is this idea of fostering a heart of thankfulness. So much of that comes from being at peace. So much of that comes from knowing your true identity. You ever watched a movie where someone wakes up and they have amnesia? They have no idea who they are. They don't feel at peace, do they? They feel chaotic. They feel like, what am I? Who am I? What happened? You know, the truth is, I think many of us who don't know our identity in Christ yet probably feel that way. It's this anxious feeling. It's this feeling of emptiness. It's this feeling of hopelessness. And my hope and my prayer 
is that we as followers of Christ, by the way we act, by the clothes that we put on, by the love that they see us give to others, that they will find their identity in Christ. But here's, here's the big, big caveat to all of it. Jesus can only give us new life if we let go of our old life. For some of us this morning, that's a hard thing. We want the control. We want to live the way that we've always lived. My friends, I would urge you, if things haven't been going well, try something new. If you want to know peace that transcends all understanding, if you want to know hope that is lasting, if you want to experience a love that is never-ending, you have to put to death the old life. Now, some of us, maybe we even need a symbolic representation of this. This is why we have baptism coming up. Is this idea that through baptism we put the death to the old life, that we go under the water, that we bury it down, and that when we come up, we are made new. Some of us need that. But regardless, some of us even this morning just need to know that there is a God and that He loves me. And if no one's ever told you that or if it's never sunk, this morning I hope that you know that. There is a God. He sent a one and only Son, Jesus, to this earth to save you. That through the death on the cross that our sins would be washed away, that our debt would be paid. And that because the grave could not hold down that love, Christ is risen. He's still sitting up in heaven and He's waiting for His time to come back to gather us all to Himself. But in the meantime, I want you to know that even if you feel lost, even if you feel broken, even if you are just feeling empty, that He will fill you. That He will find you. That He will restore you. That He will reclaim you. And most of all, man, will He love you. So this morning, I don't know where you're at, but I hope that as we respond, we're singing this song, that maybe you just need to hear these words. Because one of the things that I love about this song is it's this this proclamation, I can't talk, this declaration of the identity of who we are, of who God says that we are, not the way that the world sees us, not the way that uh, our failures see us. The reality is that through the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross, that trumps all of the failures that we could ever have, all of the things that need to be pruned out of our life. God doesn't see that in us. He sees His daughter. He sees His son. He deeply loves and invites to come home. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray, and and we're going to close out with this song. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that we could have the bravery, the courage, God, to begin examining our thought life. God, to begin examining our life in general. And God, where there are places that we need to be pruned. God, would we realize that though it may hurt a little bit, that God, that you love us, that you only want to cut those things out of our life because you know what's best for us. That you want us to be focused wholly on you. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room, God, who has never experienced your true love, that has never experienced relationship with you. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, God, that any voices, any things that would be standing in their way, God, that you would move those out of the way and that, God, they would accept 
just that beautiful love, that hug, that embrace, that new life that can only happen when the old life is put away. And that, God, maybe for some of us, God, maybe we've realized that, God, we, we have you, we, we love you, but, God, there are things that we need to cut out of our life. God, would we begin the pruning process even in this moment? But, God, most of all, as we sing, God, would we just proclaim that we are yours? And would we proclaim our identity as one in you? And, God, would we proclaim our identity as sons and daughters who you say we are? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.